Hello, I'm Adam and welcome to Tales from the Potting Bench, a gardening podcast where you'll hear tales and stories from the most interesting and different people from the world of both indoor and outdoor gardening. This episode is sponsored by the wonderful people at PlantGrow, producers of award-winning organic fertilisers made with zero chemicals. Great for your garden and even greater for the planet. And don't forget if you use the code pottingbench on plantgrow.co.uk, you'll get 10% off your order. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to ask, if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, then please consider rating and leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. It's easy to do, takes just a few minutes of your time, but it really helps this podcast get into the ears of more like-minded, plant-loving people. This episode features a conversation with houseplant royalty, Jane Perrone. Join us as we discuss, among other things, Jane's brand new book, Legends of the Leaf. Enjoy. So, for anyone who is not familiar with you right now, who are you and what do you do? You're setting me off on an existential crisis here. Who am I? I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I I think I know my name at least. I'm Jane Perrone. I am a garden writer, freelance journalist, and the host of podcast On The Ledge, and uh, an author, I should add, uh, of two books, the latest being uh, Legends of the Leaf. It's nice to be able to add it's- that additional little thing on the end, isn't it? The <clears throat> author. It sounds good, doesn't it? it yes, Does. it's nice. It's a nice feeling. If only uh, nice feelings paid the bills. <laughs> but <laughs> book writing is, as I uh, anyone who's done it will know, is um, a labour of love. But the good thing is this really was a book that I felt really passionate about. So it was worth all the hard work. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Well, we will talk about the book. But I wanted to, to mention that you have been on the podcast before. So for anyone that's been listening since the very start, you were on back in, I think, October 2021 so let's say a year and a half ago or so that's a good old chunk of time and a lot has happened in the world since then but what has happened with you since then what have you done in the last year and a half what have again you're sending me off on this one <laughs> wondering about my life choices here well uh the last year and a half has been a process of writing the book and getting it out there plus making a weekly podcast which again you know you know is a is a task, a delightful task that I really love. Uh, And then getting in the odd bit of freelance writing as well. And I have another project which is yet to be announced, which is coming out in October, uh, which I can't really tell you anything about other than it's houseplant related. Um, So there's been lots going on. And, uh, you know, over that period, the sort of 2021 period, we saw this huge rise in interest with houseplants and I am getting asked now whether I think sort of the houseplant bubble is over Mm. and that's an interesting one because I think on the one hand houseplants like any trend tends to be cyclical so in that sense there's always going to be a dropping off after a huge peak when everyone was at home and lots of people needed something to fill their time with and houseplants were a brilliant stopgap and and then some of those people have obviously faded away as they've gone back to work and lost interest. But I think it has still left us with uh, an enlarged core of houseplant enthusiasts mm. uh, who are still very much on board. So in a way, uh, that's just sort of the boom and bust cycle. But I think it has. I don't think we're going to go back to, you know, the early 2000s when 
I remember interviewing garden centers uh, for other things I was writing them and asking them about houseplants. And they say, well, we get a few poinsettias in at Christmas and that's about it. You know, those were the sort of the dark old days, really. I don't think we're going to go back to that anytime soon because so many more of us are living in uh, spaces without gardens or small spaces. And we just want to have some greenery inside. So I think it's 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 all positive, but we definitely have seen a shift. Yeah, it's good to know that it will stay. And I remember having conversations with people just kind of right after the last lockdown about the same thing. And that's, you know, that's a chunk of time away now. And it's it, it does seem to still be, I don't know, it doesn't seem to have gone away at all, really. I mean, you may notice it more being kind of really in depth within the houseplant world, but it doesn't seem to have gone away really at all, does it? No, I don't think so. And I think the reason, I'd say the reasons for that thing, are many and co- no, it's not a bad thing. And the, the reasons are many and complex, but I do think, you know, a whole generation of people has just discovered houseplants in a way that maybe the generation below them just didn't have the opportunity to do so. And they're just seen in a completely different light now. Plus, you know, social media plays a massive role in the way that houseplants have become something that people, you know, want to have on their Zoom backdrops or, you know, uh, when they're, you know, on Instagram, they want to show off their plants. So I think, you know, the, the landscape has changed as well. I think something else with that as well is that there will be a certain amount of projects that people have put together that are probably almost kind of lockdown babies and that have have, uh, have been put together through lockdown that are only in essence being released now a lot of those so that's going to help a lot of that um that kind of momentum with with houseplants and that that kind of leads me slightly on onto your book was that something that you did you so for anyone that doesn't know about that that's been kind of quite a lengthy process for you did that happen before <laughs> lockdown i'm just trying to remember now i think or was it during? I have got this no, I it it was it was dreamt up before um the lockdown. I must actually go back and look at my because I have got um my proposal somewhere. Mm. Um and I think it started out with an idea in the summer of 2019. Right. I remember writing down the title. I need to find the I need to actually find the very first proposal. Um and um Basically, I then sort of didn't do anything about it as one doesn't. You just sort of put it behind the scenes. Mm. And then I realised, actually, I really should come back to this and try to uh, do something with this. Oh, look, I've just actually found it. Here we go. Oh, have you found Here's it? My init- well, I've just found my pitch. I think actually, well, I certainly, I can't remember whether the how long before the pitch, but my initial pitch was June 2020. And then it was September 2020 that the crowdfunder went live. And I think it was the previous year that I kind of had this first inklings of the idea about the book. So yeah, it's a long process, but for me, it was about, I love houseplant books. So for me, I knew all of the houseplant books there were basically, um, (laughs) and I've got most of them. And I just felt like there was this gap and just thought to myself, a bit like starting the podcast, really. If I don't do this, somebody else is going to do it. So I am I want to do it myself because I think this is a really great idea and something I would like to read. Mm. So that's how it all started out. And the crowdfunding is a long process. It takes months and months and months. I think it was probably about at least six months of, of funding. Right. And my wonderful podcast listeners were brilliant in supporting me from the start you know 900 people in the end 
pledged um, to support the book. She's amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. So that's been really exciting to see um, that's that support. And everyone's been so patient. The thing is, people don't realise how long it takes to write a book. So no, you do God, the crowdfunding. No. Once you've reached the target, then you have to write the book. And obviously, yeah. at the same time, I'm trying to, you know, earn a living. When you when you're writing a book, it's it's very much kind of in the background, isn't it? And and it's that one of those things that you're not necessarily telling everyone that you're doing, and it's kind of there, and it takes a tremendous amount of work. It's like a job that nobody knows about, isn't it? Yeah, it 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 really is, and you're it's very lonely work in a way mm. and in the end it is quite lonely and I did think this summer or this spring this spring when I was starting to to finally do some stuff in my own garden thinking gosh this is really good that I'm not writing a book right now because I can get out here and actually do some gardening for once because you know when I was writing the book at the weekends and evenings it would be you know really slogging away uh and you know the, the book I chose to do my own fault really I chose a book that required a huge amount of research uh, and hunting down information because I'm profiling 25 iconic houseplant species and I'm trying to really go in depth and bring information that you won't find in other houseplant books. So I wasn't just kind of regurgitating stuff I've read elsewhere. I was literally yeah. going through academic papers about different aspects of different plant species and trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's going on with them reading books, looking at all different kinds of source material. So yeah, I set myself quite a task, but what I think mm. hopefully the result is a really rounded picture of each of these plants. So although the book's out on April the 27th in bookshops, people who've pledged through Unbound are already getting their copies, which has been really nice. So I'm starting to hear feedback, which is, is good. And people have been enjoying the in-depth stories told in the book, which I'm very pleased about because I was quite worried that it would be a little bit too in-depth, a little bit too geeky, but not so far. I don't think so, no. And I, I'm very, very lucky enough to have had a copy for a couple of weeks and um devouring it. I would my my one main question, I suppose, and this is this is always the a question for a book that compiles something about a certain amount of plants is why those plants and why yeah how yeah i mean what, what was your kind of decision making process for those plants to be included it's a really good one I, there wasn't a sort of scientific method that i employed <laughs> to choose them i was trying to choose plants though that on the whole i believe even people who aren't really into house plants would kind of vaguely recognize and i think that goes for the vast majority of plants in the book that people would go oh yeah I've kind of seen that before even if they don't know the name of it they would recognize that plant um and there's a, probably a fair amount of personal preference in there and there are lots of things that I could have put in there that I didn't in fact my son has come up with secrets of the stem as a name for a sequel to the book with another 25 plants um <laughs> so yeah it was really about plants that were instantly recognizable that had interesting stories and trying to get some kind of spread across the range of different types of house plants including you know a palm cacti aroids ferns and so on yeah, I suppose it's difficult, isn't it? Because you want to include something almost for for everybody, but again, you don't want to you don't want to redo what's what's definitely what's already been done, and you don't do that because you have gone into an incredible amount of detail, but not the detail that you would necessarily expect. And I think there was a thing 
about the jade. Uh, what's the thing about the jade plant? Yeah, so in the beginning of that chapter sort of opens up with this rather kind of what the hell kind of opening, talking about <laughs> Chinese, uh, I can't remember which century it was now, but a long time ago, high up Chinese people being buried in these burial suits that are made up of thousands of tiles of jade, actual jade, the mineral. Um, and these were rediscovered uh, a few decades ago. And before that they were rediscovered, it was thought that this was just kind of a legendary thing that didn't actually exist in real life. This idea that jade has jade has a lot of meaning in Chinese culture and it's multi-level um, understandings. But one of the meanings is the idea that of sort of eternal life. And so the idea of putting yourself in a jade burial suit was that it basically uh, kept you going into infinity and beyond, as it were. So the chapter started off with that story because this is one of the reasons why Crassula Ravata, the jade plant, is regarded really highly in Chinese culture because the leaves resemble the mineral jade and the mineral jade has all this significance. Um, so it was kind of a way into talking about the plant via this very interesting story that I was kind of completely captivated about reading. Um, and, you know, there's some other stories in the book that are kind of quite dark, <laughs> uh, particularly the Diefenbakia chapter goes yeah. to some quite dark places. And, you know, just like really things that I had no idea about before I did the research, for example, the snake plant, Sansevieria trifasciata, in the 1950s in America, there was loads of research done into that plant's use as a natural fibre because at the time, the way the world was going, there was a lot of worry about imports of things like sisal, other natural fibres that had to be imported into the US. So they were looking for ways of producing a natural fiber themselves and they found that of the sansevieria species trifasciata was the best one for natural fibers and the only thing that stopped that plant really becoming a massive crop for fibers was just the invention of man-made fibers that followed shortly after and so sort of the idea of that plant as a fiber crop faded but now we're coming back to it because of course natural fibers are really starting to re-emerge as something we want to be using and we're trying to move away from man-made fibers and so people are rediscovering Sansevieria trifasciata the snake plant as this source of fibers and if you go on kind of prepper websites you might find it being talked about there there are some products coming onto the market using those fibers so yeah just stuff that maybe you won't have read anywhere else, I hope. The unusual. Yeah, I definitely agree. Were there were there any that kind of didn't make the cut that will potentially yeah. end up in Secrets that's of the really, Stem? <laughs> that's a really good question. I'm I'm just looking at my files now because I think I did start researching a couple of other ones. I think the certainly I was looking at Gapertias. And I think the reason why I didn't do that was because I couldn't decide which species to actually focus on. Obviously, <laughs> more commonly known as Calatheas, um, but they were definitely in there as a possibility. Uh, and the other one I think that I decided not to do was Philodendron Pink Princess, which was a very kind of sort of trendy plant a couple of years ago. But I kind of wondered whether ultimately that might be a bit of a flash in the pan yeah. and might not might look a bit dated in a few years' time. So I didn't go down that route, but I did look at loads of different options. And again, it was partly sort of personal preference and partly um, just how recognisable I thought they were. 
were. And I have to say, you know, I have said previously, <laughs> it's my book, so I can choose the 25. And you know, you probably can. most people would not identify Saxifragia Stolonifera uh, as what as an iconic house plant. But <laughs> hey, it's my book, and I it's really like book, that God plant. And yeah. actually, in that chapter, I do talk about that plant has been grown as a house plant for a really long time. So I do kind of justify it. It's <laughs> historically, it's got a lot to be said for it as an yeah. iconic house plant. Cool. <laughs> You, I mean, you say, you say there that it's your book, and it is, of course, your book, but it is entirely possible uh, because of the the following that you've been able to kind of gather to, I suppose, fund the book. And that I, I, this is my very tenuous link back to what else you do, is because of the podcast, which has now been going six years, is it? Yeah. You've got that. I mean, you've got, you've got people from all over the world that will have uh, no doubt helped with the funding of this book. You've also got your amazing newsletter, The Plant Ledger, which, which came, the podcast came first out of those two, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. Definitely the podcast was first off the blocks. I'd done a podcast. I used to be gardening editor at The Guardian. And when I was there, I worked with Alice Fowler on a podcast called So Grow Repeat. And I loved doing that. It was so much fun. And when that ended, I just really missed podcasting. So along came on the ledge. The plant ledger just came out of the fact that, you know, email newsletters are where it's at. Um, (laughs) And this was about a year ago, I launched the plant ledger, but also like really tapping back into my journalistic roots. You know, that's the background I came from is hard news journalism. And, you know, newsletters have always been a part of that. You know, on 9-11, the day after Mm -hmm. 9-11, I was sat at my desk at 6am in the morning writing uh, a review of the papers and the response to 9-11. So like this is my kind of meat and drink, albeit in a very, very different arena of houseplants. But, you know, I love the idea of being able to bring together um, information, gossip, uh, interesting stuff about houseplants into a newsletter. And that's what I try to do with that. And and it's been going for a year and I really enjoyed uh, doing that. Um, And again, loads of brilliant input from listeners on that as well in terms of uh, you know events and news and people sending me links of stuff they spotted so yeah it's a very much a collaboration do you know what i really love so your your podcast is one of those ones that is very much on my i have to listen to this as soon as it comes out there aren't many um that are that good um, but i would say it's, it's definitely on there and what i absolutely love about it is this i kind of semi-joking that it's you know it's not your book etc but but it does feel as though when you're listening to your podcast and i'm sure this is what is intended is that that it is almost not a collaborative effort but it is a very much a this is for the for the listeners do you know what i mean by that does that make mm, sense absolutely and it's it's great it's also quite pressure inducing because you know i do get emails from people <laughs> saying you know your podcast got me through a really tough time and, you know, really sort of you feel responsible for um, for your listeners. And so, yeah, that's that's brilliant. It's absolutely wonderful to have that support. But it does sort of feel like there's quite a lot of um, responsibility on me in terms of making sure that I stay true to the podcast and its kind of manifesto and aims and, you know, always just try to you know, walk that fine line between, um, you know, getting across useful information, plus making it kind of fun, plus, uh, you know, getting um, getting a few jokes in here and there. It, it's quite a sort of tightrope walk. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 fascinating, but it gets easier after six years. I can say yeah, that. I'm sure, I'm <laughs> sure. You know, I'm only just realising now, and this, I'm sure this is entirely intentional, that 
on the ledge, plant ledger, legends of the leaf. Is that that is intentional? You're onto isn't it? something there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah, that was entirely intentional. Yeah, it was. And uh I don't quite know. I don't quite know. I think when when the podcast started, I was trying to come up with titles and trying to make it snappy and something original and I came up with all kinds of different names my husband he's still annoyed about this my husband wanted me to call it and this is a gen x this is a very much a gen x reference he wanted me to call it sage against the washing machine <laughs> I love a poem. terrible dad poem. joke yeah. so yeah he's still annoyed that I didn't call it that um but <laughs> I, I went for on the ledge because I just thought it's catchy and you know it fits into a URL and and it's kind of has led on to those other titles in quite a useful way. So I guess it stood the test of time. It has. You really can't book the trend. So with the next one, you can't go with secrets of the stems. You've got to get ledge in there somehow, even if it's in brackets somehow. It's yeah, be in there, that's true. That's true. I mean, I don't really wish to sign myself up for a site sequel at the minute. You know, writing a book is a bit like childbirth. You don't. <laughs> the memory has to fade before you're prepared to go through it again. And I say that as somebody. <laughs> Who has given birth to two children? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to say, now that I've got the book in my hands, much like having a baby, it is just like, oh, it's so amazing, yeah. it's so nice. But I can't actually, I haven't actually read it because I'm so terrified of spotting any mistakes. I'm sure this is not uh, unique to me as an author, <laughs> but um, I'm sure a few have slipped in. I think it's great, Jane. I genuinely do, and I think the the concern. I mean, that's I'm probably making this sound too grand, but I think the thing is with a gardening book, and I'm I'm including houseplants within that because I do, I really hate splitting the two of them because I feel like houseplants are just indoor gardening. But I think that the the concern with a gardening book is that it is going to repeat what's already been said and there's only so much that can be said about plants yada 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 but it it, it doesn't do that i mean obviously there are things that you want to cover in terms of propagation etc and uh, you know what have you light and things but but i think what you do do is tell the story of a plant in a different way not a question as such <laughs> more an observation yeah, I mean, I think that is when you look at things like, I don't know, a different world within which there are different cultural. I'm getting a bit I'm getting a bit English literature degree here, but, you know, different <laughs> spheres of life where there are different products like podcast books, articles and so on. You know, other spheres, we don't kind of limit ourselves in the same way, like even food. We don't sort of say, well, you know. It can only be recipes. You know, we can only have recipes when we talk about food. That's the only way we can communicate information about food. No, we have, you know, podcasts and and mm. radio shows and books that go into the production of food or go into the cultural side of food or go into the science of food. And I think it's the same with houseplants and with gardening generally. It's an intersection of all different kinds of um, different streams of knowledge from science to art to culture and we can mix that all together and enjoy it all. It doesn't always have to be, you know, and there is a place for what to do this week in the garden or what to do this week with your houseplants, but it doesn't have to be that. There's no. so much more. I think the other thing with, with houseplants, it kind of goes back to my point about houseplants being just indoor gardening, is that there's always this misconception, I think, with houseplant fans or houseplant experts that that's that they don't garden as well, which is total nonsense. Because I talked to Tony Le Breton <laughs> not that long ago, and he's obviously he's got a gorgeous garden. And this this leads me back to 
your very very first book which was the allotment keepers handbook i mean far from a from a garden it was an allotment so that's that's one step further <laughs> one one might say i suppose so that um when when was when was that when was the kind of physical version of that that was a while ago now wasn't it yeah that was 2008 uh which was just marked really the end of my sort of news hard news journalism career and the start of my garden writing career and that book I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing on that book, but I really enjoyed writing that book. And it's been really nice recently because I've just made an audio book recently out of that book. And it's been nice to revisit because there are a few things that have changed. I think I'm a little bit more forgiving to things like slugs now than I was then. Um, but the vast majority of what I was talking about then, I totally stand by, which I'm really pleased about. And it was fun yeah. to get the chance to record that as an audio book. And, uh, you know, it, it goes over a time in my life, which, you know, was really thoroughly enjoyable where I had an allotment and just had loads of adventures kind of um, getting to grips with that. Um, I don't have an allotment anymore. I have a pretty large garden which is more than I can handle to be quite honest and is always a mess but always a delight as well um so yeah I've moved on but I I think a lot of the principles in there as well are just things that apply to whatever kind of garden you're doing and sure. yeah I I mean <laughs> yeah the one thing I did the one thing I have actually changed my mind on if anyone wants to know is composting and in there I sort of say oh you know uh, life's too short to you know chop up all your kitchen waste <laughs> to go and comp and I actually think now I'm really I I'm of the school of actually no that is worth doing because it does make a difference to the speed of decomposition but then again I'm a total compost geek I love composting if I was going to do another sort of topic for a podcast it would be compost because I just <laughs> am obsessed so yeah that was one thing I think I've become a bit more proactive with yeah. my compost chopping up although even said saying that you know there's an awful lot of semi-rotted half grapefruit uh shells <laughs> in that compost right now <laughs> i have oh, to admit yeah. you so you mentioned about slugs and you mentioned about uh compost was there it's what i was going to ask you that was there anything else that when you were going back over it that you really thought gosh this is this has changed uh, either, you know, general consensus or anything like that since that was written. Because that that is a chunk of time, isn't it, really, in terms of how yeah. things progress with gardening and growing, etc. I'm quite pleased to say that I was peat-free then in the garden. Mm. I don't think I was peat-free with my houseplants at that point because it wasn't actually that easy to get peat-free substrates. But I certainly was peat-free at that point in my garden. Mm. Um, and obviously I stand by that today. So that, and I think at the time it was not particularly a fashionable view. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was sort of exhorting everyone to grow, use peat-free for seed compost and, and other compost they were using. Yeah. Um, so that was good to hear. But I think maybe a few of the pesticides I mentioned, I think, are probably been outlawed. And I think I did actually change that in the audiobook just to sort of keep make updated. sure that the information I was giving yeah. I was updated. But there was very little really. Head of well, the curve. you know, I like to think so. <laughs> I mean, I've been a member of Garden Organic, the uh, organic gardening charity, for many, many years. And uh, yeah, I've always just been really felt really passionately about that kind of stuff and you know trying to work with nature but I think I have I say back then I used to do things like snipping slugs with secateurs I just don't think I would do that now I just I just I just subsist with the slugs but then again I don't grow quite so many vegetables as I used to so maybe 
you're if not I was having trying to, deal to with grow them. a lot, yeah. I would, yeah, I would be more. Uh, <laughs> Maybe out there with to... the secretaries. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> Leave yeah. that to the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we've went, we've mentioned so many different things that you that you've done there. So, there's the book. Just to kind of go back over these, just in case anyone didn't quite get there. So, there's the book, which is Legends of the Leaf, which is out on the 27th of April, which is available from you and in all good bookshops, I presume. Yeah, yeah, it it should be uh, available from all the usual places and all the usual online sources. And uh, I'm just hoping that people will be drawn in by the gorgeous cover and uh, grab themselves a copy, even if maybe houseplants aren't their natural thing. I'm sure they will. So then there's the podcast, which is on the ledge, which is available on all good podcast platforms. And then the newsletter, which is the plant ledger. How does someone sign up for that if they if they haven't already? The source for all information Jane Perone related is janeperone.com. And there's a there's a link in the top right hand corner, which will take you to the podcast and a sign up link for the plant ledger and everything else I do is on there as well. Um, so, well, yeah, it's all there at janeperone.com. Wonderful. And I will add all the details to all of these things to the podcast show notes as well, should anyone want to have a look at those. And I would highly recommend that you look at all of them, actually. Big fan of all of them, Joan. So we've come to that time where I've got three questions for you. I will say three. This is the scary bit. Oh, no. This is the desert island (laughs) discs bit. And there's a natural desert island question as well. So so brace yourself. Are you ready? I'm braced. Fully braced. Okay. Question number one. If you were stuck on a desert island with only one other gardener, who would it be and why? And you can, of course, choose someone from the houseplant world, should you wish. Oh, my gosh. I'm just going to alienate everybody immediately. (laughs) Yeah, I think I want somebody that I'm going to be able to argue with. I think that might be it. Like, I don't want somebody that's just going to agree with me. So with that in mind, can I have somebody who's dead? Of course, right? you can you okay. can reanimate them as well. This is a this is okay. a mystical desert right. island. I think in that case, I would either go. It's between Beth Chateau and Christopher Lloyd, who both of whom have sadly passed away. I'm going to go with Beth Chateau. Actually, um, nice. I think she, we'd have a good discussion, a robust discussion. I think she'd be quite good at the survivalist stuff, and yeah. I think we hash out a lot of issues to do with plants and have a good old natter and Mm. probably not agree about everything but still get on at the end of a long day on the desert island (laughs) i think that's the first time that beth chateau has been mentioned i really need to compile the the answers to all of these on my website somehow don't i good plan there you go next question if you could never garden again and you can apply that to houseplants as well of course what would you spend your time doing instead oh this is an easy one (laughs) riding horses i did not know this about you riding horses i love i mean yeah that riding horses is something i get enormous pleasure out of i don't do enough of it because it's it's quite an expensive hobby and my daughter also likes to ride horses so and i'm not good enough to kind of um, you know help anyone else with their horse or anything like that but i do i've it's a childhood passion that i've come back to in my 40s and i absolutely love it i just i I dream about riding horses and yes that's my retirement sorted out basically massive greenhouse and riding okay Um, definitely well on your desert island with beth chateau i shall allow you a horse as well (laughs) perfect can i trot around on it is it yeah, big enough it's okay, a massive good. island i'm not quite sure on the details of the island or where this is but you can have a horse yeah of course two horses Great. 
two horses. And the third question, if you had to flee your garden right now or your house, which one thing or plant would you take with you? Oh, my gosh, this is a hard question. Um, I don't know that it would be a plant, you know, because oh, I love okay. plants. And there are, I mean, I absolutely adore my plants. But I think ultimately with plants, you always have to have the approach of this isn't going to be with me forever. Um, I mean, I, I would say my dog. I mean, is uh, is that, am I allowed to say my dog? I reckon um, so, yeah, I think so. I'm because... not as harsh as Desert Island Discs. So. Okay, yeah, good. I reckon... Well, I mean, I think it would be my dog or possibly, I think it would be my dog uh, because, you know, with plants, even ones that are sort of, you know, ones that I've had for a really long time, I've always got the sense of, you know, this could all go pear-shaped. For example, this last winter with the very cold snap before Christmas, I lost my oldest house plant, which was an Aristalo, Aristalo Aristata, lace alo that I'd been given over 20 years ago. And I lost it this winter. And it was very, very sad. Uh, but at the same time, the wonderful thing about plants is, you know, you can get another one. You can start yeah. again. Whereas I think with my dog, my lovely elderly lurcher, I would want, I'd be more worried about him. So I definitely, I mean, I'm assuming that my children have already got out and they're okay, you know, and my husband. I'm not... Yeah, nobody's questioned. <laughs> but... Do you know what, Jane? I don't know if this says more about my previous guests uh, or anyone else, but nobody's ever questioned, are my family safe? <laughs> <laughs> well you know the thing with me is I've got a very overactive imagination and I'm just thinking this through now I'm like thinking through all the ramifications of who I'm leaving behind what might happen you know I mean the other thing I'd really want to say uh that I'd maybe also be grabbing just because it's portable uh is I'm known for wearing brooches so I basically wear a brooch every day of the year and I'd probably want to save my brooch collection because I've got a lot of brooches that I've lovingly collected and curated over the years so that and I could probably get them out of the house quite easily with the dog. So maybe that would be it. Jane's book, Legends of the Leaf, is out on the 27th of April from Unbound and is available to order online and in all good bookshops. You can find Jane on Instagram at j.l.perone or on Twitter at Jane Perone. You can also listen to Jane's podcast, On the Ledge, where you can find more houseplant goodness. Come back again next week where I'll be joined by another fantastic planty guest. Until then, you can follow me on Instagram at viewfromthepottingbench to see what I'm up to in my garden or visit viewfromthepottingbench.com to read my blog and much more.